Now, let's get back to work. Um, guys, you know, in the last couple of three years, um, we have been talking about the person and the work of the Trinity. First of all, we started with God the Father, and for a year or so, then we moved to God the Son, uh, in his person and his work, and then we're now on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, last spring, winter and spring, we spent the whole winter and spring on really the person of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we pivot. We pivot to um, begin to discuss the work of the Holy Spirit, and I would suggest to you that that's, that's where a lot of the mystery lies for so many of God's people because um, the Neo-Pentecostal movement uh, turned the Holy Spirit's work into almost nothing more than the ecstatic, uh, the in unintelligible gibberish. And so that's about the only thing we knew that he did um, and didn't know about these other things that he did. Um, so... What I want to do from now for the next four or five weeks is finish up on God the Holy Spirit and talk about these, uh, this, the assigned tasks given to the Holy Spirit of God uh, in, in all the development of the uh, story of redemption. Okay? Now, so when I started trying to prepare this, I had to figure out what, what, with what should I start? What's the first thing that I should go over with you concerning the tasks, the assignments uh, that are performed by God the Holy Spirit? So I decided to uh, borrow from a text um, in Galatians chapter 5, which is always rather safe, which says this. This is Galatians 5.25. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul started with this. If we live by the Spirit, well, let's make sure we follow it. Okay? So, he started with the living. And then he's going to talk about the following. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with this thing about the Holy Spirit's um, role in this... um, Saving of God's people. What function, what role does God the Holy Spirit play? Now, you may have never thought of the Holy Spirit as having a saving assignment, but oh, He does. And we're going to talk about it maybe this week and next week. Now, before we look at His task in this saving assignment, I just want to remind you something because... um, we must always keep this in mind, guys, this, this, um, this statement that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 12 about when, when he says, um, Every, um, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You know, that always strikes me. You mean to tell me that the triune God is willing to accept um, blasphemous statements against the second person of the Trinity, but not the third person. That's what it says. I'm simply saying that as we launch into this discussion of um, the, the assignments given to the Holy Spirit, we've we got to keep that in mind. We've got to be somewhat careful 
in, in the things that we say and the concepts that we, that we adopt, um, making sure that they don't ever um, border on something that is being denounced here in Matthew chapter 12. All right. So let's go back and start looking at the life-giving role that is played by God the Holy Spirit. I, I would, I would um, point, first of all, to the text that I just read you. It is um, Galatians chapter 5, um, uh, verse 25, where he says, um, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Okay, that's the first thing. Galatians 5.25 says there's something about living <clears throat> that was connected with and associated with a, a function played by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you one that is even says far more. It's found in Titus chapter 3. Titus 3. This is, this is grand stuff, folks. Um, Titus 3, verse 5. I, I hope you can get there and color it up on your phone or whatever. Uh, Titus is in... In, towards the back of the New Testament, folks. Um, that's for Russ uh, Bingham. Um, uh, oh, okay, uh, verse 5, uh, Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We, we, we got that, I hope. But according to his own mercy. Watch. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He saved us, and in the process of Him saving us, right at the center of that saving work that God has performed in His mercy is the, regen the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? That is, I mean, when we talk about getting saved, we, we speak of the second person of the Trinity, and rightly so. But the third person of the Trinity is immeasurably involved in that, that event, that act, that process of bringing you to faith in Christ. And then there's, there's one more I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, and we're just, I'm just showing you statements that talk about the Holy Spirit's role uh, in bringing us to life. This is in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So you see there again, the Holy Spirit is being mentioned as playing some kind of role in bringing us to life. Now, folks, I'm not going to belabor the point. I think that's enough to show that the Holy Spirit is directly involved in the saving work, and um, that we're gonna and we're gonna look at that saving work more deeply and more in, in, in more detail next week. But for tonight, <laughs> oh, I thought we'd have a bit of fun. Um, I, I thought I might rally up some, you know, um, make all those. Baptist juices that are still wandering around in your soul. You know, um, so folks, wake up. Um, it's time to do a little wrestling. Uh, not with each other, but with truth. Okay? Uh, we need to do a little wrestling. It'll be fun. 
Um, I hope. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the sacraments. Hot dog. <laughs> okay. Uh, that'll get you people off of your phones and, and to put down your grocery list that you're working on right now. Um, uh, because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a little fun here, folks. All right. We're going to talk about sacraments. But there's one point that I've already made, which is important. And we'll make another one in a minute. And we're going to put those together and hope there'll be some, hopefully there'll be some clarity. Okay. Go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 5. Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 5. Okay. Everybody there? Ephesians 4, 5. Paul is talking about the, uh, this mystery, this thing of, of, of combining the Jew, Jews and the Gentiles, and we're all in one body, et cetera, et cetera. And then he makes this statement in um, Genesis 4, I mean, uh, Ephesians 4, 5. It's a very brief verse. It's six words. He says, well, let me just read four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Okay. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. See it? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, who is the one Lord? Come on, you've got to be a Trinitarian thinker here, folks. Christ. The one Lord is Jesus. Okay, got that one. All right, what is the one faith? No, no, no. It's the faith that joins you to this Christ. Okay? Just call it saving faith. All right? Now, you notice that both of those things are saving things. You see it? One Lord, one faith. So, we come to the next. One baptism. Okay. Does it not make sense, and is it not exegetically sound, I think it is, to say if the other two were saving things, one Lord, one faith, that this would be a saving thing as well? One baptism. Aren't you with me still? Get off of that phone. Um, okay, there's one baptism. Now, here's my next question to you. What is the one baptism referred to here? Or I'll answer it, I'll uh, ask it differently. What is the central baptism of the New Testament? Way to go! It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, guys, we could, I could show you all kinds of statements. Um, but I'm just going to read you one, but this, this, this one right here is found four times, but they're all parallel passages. This is in Matthew chapter 3. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, gang. Now if you can go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> and I'm going to read you something. 
Um, <laughs> I'm having a ball. I, don't, I hope you are. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 13. 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now, gang, I want to suggest to you that that is a wonderful commentary on Ephesians 4, 5. But you may not agree with that. That's okay. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body because that one body is the same theme he has, theme he has in Ephesians 4. Okay, now I want to read you something. Now, gang, this is dangerous. Um, don't try to do this at home. I'm a professional. Um, <laughs> I want to read you the note uh, uh, that's at the bottom of the page, which is written by a man, okay? It's not, it's not scripture, it's not inspired, but I want, to read, I want to read you what this guy says. Since the Spirit is one, he unites people to cross lines of ethnicity and social class that would otherwise divide them. Hmm, we, we believe that, absolutely. In one spirit, we were all baptized. The same Greek construction, the verb baptizo plus the, the uh, prefix in plus the dative of panuma spirit is used here as in the other six baptisms in the, of the Holy Spirit passages in the New Testament. And here it seems to, here we go. And here it seems to clearly refer to the cleansing and empowering work that the Holy Spirit does in a new convert at the point of conversion. Okay? Now, um, the other 400 of you might not agree with me, but he does. Um, I am saying that Ephesians, when it says one Lord, Jesus, one faith, saving faith and joy, and the one baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that joins me, we'll talk about it next week, joins me, in union with Christ. All right, we'll give it another name next week, but right now that's, that's what this guy said. That's what I'm saying, okay? Now, so humor me. Um, I'm saying, folks, that the central baptism of the New Testament is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in his saving work. Better think that through. <laughs> um, now, gang, I've already pointed out um, that he is directly involved in the saving of people. So here's my question for you. You ready? Get ready. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? <laughs> we have a division in the house. I told you this would be fun. I tell you, I, we need to get two of you up here to duke it out. I, I, I just think that'd be fun to watch. <laughs> Gang, let me ask my question differently. Do you have to undergo the sacrament of baptism to be saved? No. no. But do you have to be baptized to be saved? Yes. 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 This one. This one, one Lord, one faith, one, that one you got to have. Not the ritual, not the sacrament, but the reality to which the sacrament points, you got to have it. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, little ones. <laughs> you just walked into my trap. Okay, guys, let me, let me show you my, my very famous diagram. Um, it's very famous. Um, <clears throat> okay, now, in Protestantism, there are two sacraments. What are they? Lord's Supper. Baptism. Very good. Okay? All right. Roman Catholicism has seven sacraments. We have two. Those two. Now we're going to talk about the Baptist world for a minute, and then we're going to talk about the world of covenantalism. All right? All right. Gang. <laughs> Those of you who have come from Baptist backgrounds, which is about every one of you, um, tell me, in the Baptist world, the Lord's Supper symbolizes what? You're not supposed to answer. I want somebody to get it wrong. I can depend on you, Russ, to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so over in the Baptist church, uh, Marla, where are you? Marla, Marla, what does the Lord's Supper symbolize? Oh, way to go, girl. The broken body and shed blood of Christ. So I'm going to put work of Christ. Okay, that's pretty, that's fair. All right, over here at Grace Van, the Lord's Supper symbolizes what? Broken body, shed blood. Same thing. Work of Christ. Okay, but now we come to baptism. In the Baptist world, what does baptism symbolize? Add a girl. You missed one, though. That's two, but that's the third one. Death burial, and resurrection and the newness of life. Okay? I got all my Baptists shaking their head. Oh, yeah, that's right, Dr. Young. Yeah, that's, you got it, boy. Uh, great, 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 great. Okay, so uh, this is broken body shed blood. This is um, death, burial, and resurrection. But we're going to call it, just for the sake of argument, the work of Christ. So, broken body shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection. Folks, two sacraments that basically point to the same thing, the work of Christ. In covenantalism, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to baptism, what am I trying to symbolize? Folks, if I wanted to produce, if I wanted to symbolize death, burial, and resurrection, that'd be a great way to do it. But I don't. I don't want to symbolize the work of Christ. Folks, tell me. Did we not just say that the work of the Holy Spirit is saving? 
Why then is he not represented in the sacraments? What I'm trying to symbolize is the work of the Holy Spirit. Gang, one of the reasons I'm doing this is because it came up Sunday night at the, at the Stump the Chump thing. The college kids wanted to know about it. So, guys, why do I want to represent this? Because the central baptism of the New Testament is what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. So tell me, if the central baptism of the New Testament is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why then would I take the sacrament and point to Christ with it? I don't know. I don't want to point to Christ. I want to point to the saving work of the Holy Spirit. I've got one sacrament that points to the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Amen. But my other sacrament. Because, remember, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Remember that? And we, we tried to identify what the baptism was. We all said it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, folks, if the reality that I must have to be saved is the work of the Holy Spirit. Then for heaven's sake, somebody explain to me why I take the symbol or the, the sacrament itself and point to the second person of the Trinity with it. So every time I'm up there and I'm baptizing somebody, they're going, I don't know what he's doing. I, you know, that's just weird. That, you know, I think that's some holdover from Roman Catholicism. Folks, the central baptism of the New Testament is something that the Holy Spirit does, and He is not represented sacramentally here, but He is here. That work that we'll look into with greater detail next week, that, it, oh, and by the way, this, if I'm, if I'm trying to do this and not that, the mode... M-O-D-E, that is how you do it, is going to be vastly different. Because I don't want to do this. What I want to do is this. Well, why do you do that, Dr. Young? Well, because it says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay, Jesus, saving faith. What's the one bad? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, I got a sacrament. What am I going to do with the sacrament? I want to point to the one baptism. To something that's performed by the third person of the Trinity. Folks, must I have the work of Jesus Christ to be saved? Darn tootin'. But must I also have the work of the Holy Spirit to be saved? Darn tootin'. Then why, must, why, why do I not want to represent it in my sacraments. I do. And so when I get up there, I'm, I'm not going to take one of your children or an adult, and I'm not going to do this with them. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit didn't come immersed out 
Acts chapter 2 says he came poured out. So I'm going to take water. I'm going to put it in my hand. And I'm going to pour it out. Because you see, the symbol must be consistent with the thing symbolized. I'm trying to symbolize this, not this. So I'm taking water and pouring it, like it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And I'm, I'm trying to be consistent with the thing I want to I represent. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, without this... <clears throat> in fact, I'll close with this. Um, you know, I've already tricked you once and you didn't do, do good. But, I mean, you're going to do really good on this trick. Because we, I've tricked you probably about 17 times over the same thing. And I think we got it by now. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus... Uh, unless a man is born again, he cannot blank the kingdom of God. Well, <laughs> he just took my systematic class. Uh, uh, well, your grade went from a D minus to a D plus. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. You can't even see it. So I want, I mean, we must embrace this savior to ever have any hope of eternal life. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen as the Holy Spirit grants me eyes to see and ears to hear. And so when I'm baptizing somebody up there, adult or infant, what I'm saying is, if this doesn't happen to you, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you will never even see it. But if he does that, my eyes are then opened. I see my sin and my need for the Savior. And I embrace that Savior. Come back next week and we'll talk more in detail about this thing that he does. Our Father, uh, would you use these discussions to inform your people? Might they find it not only informative, but helpful in their own walk with Jesus Christ? Father, we we, we want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Now that we've been brought to life, we want to keep in step with Him. So, um, Holy Spirit of God, take charge of our tongues, our eyes, our feet, so that we can keep up with You. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.